welcome to Your Future Starts Now, the go-to podcast for extraordinary women who are ready to step into their next chapter with authentic confidence. I'm your host, Gia Lakwa, empowerment coach, motivational speaker, children's book author, and girl mom. Whether you're a corporate powerhouse or an entrepreneur, this show is designed for you. Your Future Starts Now is more than just a podcast. It's a movement, a movement towards rewriting the rules of success for high-achieving women. Are you ready to get unstuck and step into your next chapter? If so, you're exactly where you need to be. Your future starts now. Welcome to Your Future Starts Now. I'm your host, Gia Lakwa. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Shahana Alibi to the show. Dr. Shahana is a TEDx speaker, a family physician, and mental health advocate. As a lead physician at one of British Columbia's largest youth health centers, much of Dr. Shahana's career is focused on those struggling with their mental health. Shahana, thanks for being with us today. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So in this episode, we are talking about mental health and emotional well-being. And the last statistic I saw was around one in seven women experience postpartum depression, which is about 14% of new mothers. But I want to talk about postpartum anxiety, which is a close cousin of postpartum depression, yet it's far less discussed. Um, can you tell us a little bit about postpartum anxiety, its prevalence, and how it differs from postpartum depression? No, that's a great starting point and a good springboard because I think what you mentioned there was the most important that it's often not discussed. I know uh, I have three young boys, um, eight, six, and four. And after the birth of my first, that was about eight years ago now, you know, we really weren't having these conversations about postpartum anxiety and even less so about postpartum OCD, which used to be categorized under the umbrella of anxiety, but now has its own category as well. And the reason I, I mention all of that is like you said, postpartum depression for the longest time has kind of been very analogous to starting off with a postpartum baby blues, which 80% of women will have, especially the two weeks after the baby is born, and then up to at least, like you said, 14% or a round number, you know, at least 10% of women can feel that way. Although mm -hmm. some of the criteria will say things like, you know, should happen within the first six months. And anybody who's walked the road of being a mom, and notice I say mom, but it can be a, any kind of parent. You don't have to have given birth to the child. Sure. Um, but if you are having a new baby in your life, um, all of us, man, woman, can experience these types of feelings too. The anxiety part, I think, is so under-recognized because a lot of people, parents, would recognize that as actually quite normal. Like if I mm -hmm. asked you, would you worry about harm coming to your baby? I think most people would say yes, right? Do you not sleep well? I think most people would say <laughs> yes to that too, right? So instead of the picture that we paint of depression – you know, not getting out of bed, feeling guilt, feeling hopelessness, possibly even wanting to not be here anymore. Anxiety, mm -hmm. on the other hand, tends to be keyed up, on edge, restless, obviously insomnia, you know, all of those pieces. And we all know that the postpartum period is fraught with a lot of feelings like, I don't know. I don't know what to do if my baby cries. I don't know. And all of those can be anxiety provoking. Where you start to cross the line, however, are times where, for example, your baby is sleeping fine, but you're up all the time because you're mm -hmm. watching over the baby. You're fretting that something's going to happen to the baby. You actually are modifying certain behaviors. So 
you can't do certain child care tasks because of the high level of anxiety you're having. So one of the number one feelings of anxiety is that of hurt or harm coming to your child. Um, A lot of parents would say that that, of course, is very normal. But if it's starting to interfere with the quality of your life and your child rearing and child tasks, then we know that something might be might be up there, as well as things that pertain to you. So your personal hygiene, your ability to interact with others, right? We know that it can be really hard when you're living in a 24-hour cycle day to day. But if we're starting, if people around you are seeing that the physical changes as well, weight loss can be a big one too. Those are signs to get help as well. Absolutely. I think it's so important that, you know, to recognize because nothing is really quote unquote normal after you give birth, right? Your world is turned upside down. You're not prepared for any of it. There's so much unknown. And for the type A personalities like myself, there's a, there's a lack of control, right? And, 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 and like you said, a lack of information, a lack of control. And so that um, I think contributes to the underlying anxiety. And I remember when I had my first daughter, I remember watching over her, you know, the example you used, I think was watching them at night. You know, that's when we're supposed to be sleeping, right? Is rest when, when they rest. And then I would find myself, are they breathing, right? You're yeah. checking them 20 times. Yeah. And then once I realized, I talked to other women and I realized that that's normal, (laughs) right? It's like, how do you baseline that? Because there's so much of that unknown. So really good points. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I think postpartum OCD, which we'll touch on, you know, quickly here too, is, you know, then we're looking at a related, but slightly different beast. And the Mm. reason why I'm so passionate about it is because it's something that I suffered with. And I think a lot of women do, and we know that the stats prove that out. It's almost, it can be up to 10% in the first six months and gradually that will decline as the months pass. But if you are going into the pregnancy and postpartum period with the history of mood disorders, doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be OCD, but Mm -hmm. anxiety and depression, your risk is higher for that. And realize that one of the hallmark symptoms of postpartum OCD, once again, has to do with this hurt or harm coming to your child but it could it be at the hands of you? Could you do something involuntarily against your will to hurt or harm your child? And these are thoughts, images um, that you do not want to have. The medical term is ego dystonic. So that's a really key point because that differentiates it from other conditions. But it's almost like don't think of a purple elephant and I'll keep coming back and back and yes. back and back, right? Those That's what we call intrusive thoughts. And studies mm-hmm. have been done that actually... of people have intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are incredibly normal. It's the people with postpartum or just a subtype of OCD called pure OCD that they're very sticky. You can't let go of them. That Velcro is really taught is a great example. Mm. So it's harder harder to to move through them. To let it go, right? To let it go. And part of the reason is they've found that those types of people they worry and value safety. They worry and value their, you know, not doing any harm to anybody else. And you can have different Mm. themes. One can be harm. One can be religious, for example. So if you really hold something to a very high value and you start to have these disturbing images or thoughts and it really bothers you, that Velcro is tighter. Got it. Right. Got it. So you you mentioned you had some personal experience. I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit about your journey with postpartum anxiety and OCD. Yeah, for sure. I think it's so interesting too, because 
a lot of women on this podcast, you know, you probably might be having obviously a job before being a mom, right? For me, mm-hmm. I remember in medical school, everyone wanted to specialize in different things. And I just kept talking about how I wanted to be a mom. Like that was the be all and end all for me. And I'm embarrassed to say it now, but I think part of it was just this feeling that maybe motherhood was a socially acceptable break, right? It was like, look, I'm mm. doing something with my life. I'm, this is the next chapter of my life. I don't get me wrong. I really wanted to be a mom, but coming out of medical school and residency where you were constantly on that hamster wheel of achievement, it felt like I needed to pull, extricate myself off that wheel and do something that I could define as, look, super productive, growing a human being here. But it, the mentality was wrong because that pedestal that I set for motherhood and even pregnancy was so high, which meant that I had that much further to fall in some senses too. So, and then you add on the layer of being somebody who not just is a physician, but works in the space of mental health so much that it wasn't that I couldn't recognize it in myself, but I decided to ignore it, right? I think we're really good at suppressing things that we know have to be addressed, Um, And this is one of those key techniques. Can you talk to someone like you would talk to your friend? Because we often don't talk to ourselves that way too. So, you know, a year went by after the birth of my first son and I found myself just doing what a lot of women might do, which is distracting myself by going to work, doing the thing that I knew Mm. how to do, right? Putting on, I call it putting on my big girl pants with the zippers and going off to work and feeling competent and coming home and feeling completely crushed you know, and that cycle repeated itself for, for a year until, until the day came that the thought of not wanting to be here anymore became a very comforting thought. It wasn't a disturbing thought. It wasn't a distressing thought. It was a comforting thought. And it was that point that I felt like that line that I had recognized so often in my patients had been crossed by myself, you know? So it was reaching out to an anonymous physician helpline And doing the hardest things that we talk to patients about is making that call, asking for help. It all sounds so easy. Just pick up the call. It's not. None of that first step in asking for help is easy. Um, You feel awful doing it. You feel, and you don't, I call it the nanosecond effect. The nanosecond effect is that when you finally, finally make that decision to tell a friend, a colleague, a partner, whoever it might be, a physician, are they going to, that nanosecond of, are they going to lean in or are they going to lean away? And it doesn't even have to be a physical movement, but you can tell. And especially with regards to this subject matter that is so difficult to talk about. Um, I was really fortunate to have really positive nanosecond effects where people did lean in and did tell me I wasn't alone and um, helped show me a path, which did involve medications and counseling and you name it. So that was the beginning. That was the beginning of a long journey. Absolutely. And and I'm so glad that you took that step, right, to recognize it in yourself and took that step to reach out. And it is so difficult, especially for high achieving women. I think the yeah. work that I do with my clients and even from personal experience that I see is that we pride ourselves on doing things yep. independently, yep. being successful, yep. right, being competent, proving our worth. Yes. And then yep. to have to raise our hand and say, I can't do this by myself is crippling for Absolutely. most women. Absolutely. And so whether that's mental health or anything else in life, that first step to your point of picking up the phone or reaching out to someone realizing that, you know, maybe I could use an expert to help me, yeah. even if I am an expert, right? I think that's a very powerful point it, too. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I strive to do for my patients now. I remember yeah. 
I work with a lot of youth. And then we were just ending the appointment one day and a 17-year-old, we had a really good appointment. She's about to walk out the door and she said, Dr. Alibi, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, absolutely. And she's like, sometimes I hear voices. And it was that Mm. moment where she didn't, like, it was just so hard for her to get those words out. And we had built that rapport and that trust. So I really, you know, I said, let that door remain closed, come back and let's reassess here. Let's re-talk through it. And it just turned out it was, it was that inner dialogue that she was hearing. It wasn't mm-hmm. anything. There was no, you know, psychopathology there. Sure. It was just what all a lot of us hear is that tape that plays in our head. And her yeah. tape ended up sounding a lot like her mother's voice, but mm-hmm. it was that moment of confidence. So if you can have that And sometimes I say, start with a colleague, start with somebody who you can maybe distance yourself from a little bit if it doesn't go well, but it's practice. Sharing your story takes practice. It's never a one and done. No. And and that's, it's a great point because there's a lot of learning that can come from the hard times and sharing that experience with others, but it is, it is very difficult and it's it's a muscle that we have to develop just like anything else. Well said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I love that, that piece of even that shared vulnerability. I just had a yes. piece in my office not long ago and she was going through a really difficult postpartum period. And I looked at her and I said, you walk out that door and you feel so alone and you don't know that the third, fourth, fifth patient are women or men exactly like you coming to see me. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is bread and butter. This is what I see all the time. For you, you're walking around with this silo around you thinking I'm the only one ever going through this. So sometimes someone shattering that perception to going, actually, there's, you're definitely not alone in this. I always like to joke with my patients, like, especially my youth patients, you're as unique as a snowflake. But when it comes to this, you're definitely not alone, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Other people have walked, walked the path. Exactly, exactly. Definitely. So tell us more about the work that you do with youth. What do you yeah. teach about, you just teach about depression and anxiety? Well, yes. Yeah. So I'm as a, by training, I'm a family doctor. So mm-hmm. I, you know, in my practice, I'll see, you know, from cradle to grave. So everybody, because that's important for me to, to see the whole lifespan, but I do specialized work with adolescents. And it's at a center, we call it the foundry here, we see 500 new patients a month. It's an extremely wow. busy clinic. Uh, walk in, you don't need to make an appointment, you just walk right in and the youth are fine waiting, they'll wait for up to three hours to get seen by a physician, because they know that when that door closes, you know, we're not paid by the patient, we're paid by the hour. So it doesn't matter, we can take as long as we need to with that patient. And more importantly, it's not just the physician, we have specialized nurses, counselors, social workers, dietitians, uh, job support, like you name it, we have it under one roof, because so many of the times it's not a physical issue or even mm-hmm. a mental health issue. It's a, it's a social issue or an economic issue. So that's where you can start to see the holistic side of health, which for a lot of us, we don't tend to think about in our youth, right? Here they are in so much pain from prior sports injuries. They're popping Advils, which leads to a stomach ulcer, which could have mm-hmm. been corrected, which some good just physiotherapy exercises, which they can't afford, right? Like you see this cycle um, and where we can start to intervene. So I also work at a, a, a school where kids have been asked to you know, leave the regular school system for a variety of reasons. So this is an alternate learning program. So the kids here are unique and resilient, uh, but they all have a story and they often have a story that's really long and really deep uh, and really painful. So sometimes it's easy to look at their behaviors and judge them, but you don't haven't walked a day in their life and you don't know the backgrounds they've come from or what they're trying to cope with and suppress like we all are. You don't, yeah. you know, 
they've they've been dealt those cards but at the same time so many are incredibly incredibly strong and resilient so I sit there one day a week in a portable waiting for the youth workers to bring them to me so we can have these discussions and reduce barriers as well but my goal I always talk to them I said you know anxiety and and, and feeling low or hopeless or even down are adjectives they're not necessarily diagnoses right yes it's okay to feel those things if I made you move 27 foster cares, I, I, I think you would feel a bit down, depressed, and like, I think you would. It's circumstantial, right? But really quick to look at the whole story versus being too quick to prescribe something. There's a role for all of that, but sure. teaching our youth, is it manageable or unmanageable? Emotions come from the word emotis. It's going to, emotions come and emotions go. So can you allow yourself that, right? So all of those things wrapped up into trying to be a physician. But that, for me, has made me feel like I can do more and be more than just signing my name on the bottom of a prescription pad. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. incredible. It's yeah. really incredible. And, and you're right. Our emotions are energy in motion, yes. right? And so yes. teaching, especially kids and adolescents, how to understand, interpret, listen to their body yes. and normalize those feelings can it, have such a profound effect for a lifetime. Absolutely. And not to be so scared of them, like even mm -hmm. sometimes as adults, oh my goodness, like, and it's not anybody's fault, but especially, oh, you feel anxious, we must get you to the doctor. Well, wait a second, let's, let's, let's just unpack that for a second. And when does it come up for you? And it goes back to the postpartum example. How much is it interfering with your quality of life? right? Are you socializing with your friends? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking 10 Red Bulls a day? Like, you know, yeah. maybe like there's so many of those pieces as well. But sometimes um, as a youth, you only want to look at put a magnifying glass on one and ignore the rest as well. But it comes down to us as as women and working women too. try. I, it's called the optimal health pyramid. And it's on my website. And that's why the bottom of that pyramid is two things. It's training your brain that we have a negativity bias. Like I woke up this morning and found myself in a horrible mood, not knowing why. And because that's our nature, right? We constantly are going to compare ourselves to others. You know, that's what we do. We critique ourselves. But if you don't know you have that inbuilt filter in your brain, you walk around in the shadows, you know, so I think that is the baseline of the pyramid and who you re relate to your connections. Everything in the meat of the pyramid is what a lot of us are already doing, trying to eat well and move more and sleep mm -hmm. well. But that doesn't hold unless you start to train your brain and think about what your emotions are trying to serve and, because they are trying to serve you. You just don't know how. And then at the top of the pyramid is that guiding post, that arrow, like, why are you doing all this in the first place? But I think we have to start stop moving away from this idea that there's just one purpose. Like I tell this to my adolescents, it's not in a treasure box somewhere that you need to find and in a note it's going to say your purpose is to do that. It's not like that. Let's start living our life with purpose, not for a purpose. You know, I was entering the school and this youth just opened the door and it slammed in my face. I'm going, <laughs> okay, like there's such a moment there. Open the door for someone else and look back and smile. That's with yeah. purpose. Yeah. He could be chasing his purpose and I'm going to do this. That doesn't matter. Smile at someone, make conversation, live it with for, you know, with a purpose. Um, and I think that's the difference. And that's what I try to train my kids with as well.
Love that. And it's true. So many of us grew up with this feeling of having to suppress or hide our yes. emotions. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think that that's really, it's evolving. I think it's still a uh, work in progress, but I think, yes. you know, we have made a lot of progress. I think oh, there's yeah. still some a ways to go, but I think recognizing it and being comfortable and open and having those discussions is so important. So I know you mentioned the optimal health pyramid that you created. Yes. I'm curious as to what prompted you to create the pyramid and what yeah. does it mean to you? Yeah, that's such a great question too. So the true story was on the back of a napkin one day when I think my son must have been seven or eight months. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, how did I get here? How did I get on my knees crying? And this is a true story, crying to my seven or eight month old, you know, lamenting about being apologizing for being a horrible mom to him. And, you know, I look back and he's now eight and almost taller than I am, which is not hard to do at five one. <laughs> but like, you know, you think to yourself, like, yeah, how how did I get here? And I think especially yeah. in the context, maybe women out there who think, well, I'm I'm sleeping right and I'm moving and I'm doing this and I'm doing everything that all the podcasts should teach me, but why do I feel so empty inside? Why do I feel and for me it was there was this big diagnosis that I hadn't come to terms with, but that's where it started, was putting the things that I was chasing. You know, I would exercise every single day, but as my yoga video would load, I would get anxious as it was loading. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I would drink copious amounts of fish oil, uh, meditate mm. before sleep. And those are checking the boxes, but sure. there was nothing to hold it on. And that was because I had no idea about this and this, you know, the head to the heart connection, the emotional connection. The best analogy I can give your listeners is imagine a beautiful painting. And that's the painting that we see. That's the mental health picture, the whole picture that I'll see of a person. You know, the insomnia, the panic attacks when they come and see me. But every single dot of color, every single pixel is that chance to understand, regulate, um, be more aware of their emotions. It's your emotional health that all the, are the pixels that lead up to the picture that you and I see in front of us every day, you know, and it's a picture that's often hidden from the world. Only our spouse or our kids get to see the real picture at the end of the day too. So that's where the optimal health pyramid came from. And I'll, I never guessed in a thousand years that I would want to serve and help marginalized populations, but I love it. I love helping the underdog and I love helping those kids that I was trained as a kid that you would see those kids outside the mall and my mom would be like, oh, just cross the road. Like, not in a bad way, but just like, you know, there were those kids that would hang outside the mall. Sure. And now I'm helping those kids. And they're amazing right. kids. And they're great Absolutely. kids. And they have a story. And I, so I had to break down my own perceptions about that uh, and come clean and realize that I held very strong stereotypes about what an external image could be. And um, still, I feel like the most uncool person when they talk to me, <laughs> but I, at, least, <laughs> at least I listen and at least I try. And I make them, there's a difference between feeling curious about someone's story and by being fascinated about their story. Mm. And every day I try to be fascinated, whether it's them telling me about their cat, whether it's them telling me, um, you know, about their baby brother or all sorts of things or their artwork that they share with me truly being this is unbelievable and i think coming yeah. from a professional yeah i get that look in their eyes that oh like this is really cool and i love doing that yeah and that i i am gonna go out on a limb and guess that that's not necessarily something that you learned in medical school <laughs> <laughs> very accurate yes <laughs> 
Right. But it's it's just taking that interest. And and like you said, talking about holistic health, the mind body connection is so powerful. And again, it's not something I think we were taught growing up. And now we're starting to realize how critical that is. So to be able to teach youth and especially underserved populations about that and change the trajectory of their lives. I mean, it's, it's amazing work that you're doing. Oh, yeah. No, no. Thank you so much. And I the, the ironic part is that the lessons that they'll teach me through their behaviors or their decisions or even just our conversations, I take that with the lessons I've learned and I'll talk mm-hmm. to corporations, you know, Fortune 500 companies or government organizations, or I just spoke to a company of women in aerospace, like these in, on, on paper, incredible organizations, but they all have the same issues. We all feel like it's so interesting, that common thread once yeah. again, doesn't matter how pretty and polished it looks on the outside or the number of letters you have behind your name. Um, but yeah, like just this idea that there's so many of those common lessons that I'm still learning. Yeah. There's so much commonality that oh, we can yeah. and that oh, common yeah. thread we can pull through. You For talked sure. about you talked about training your brain. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, for sure. So for me, I always talk about the bedrock of training your brain is self-awareness. And I think self-awareness has had a big resurgence and a lot of us talk about it. But a great example I give, there's a little quiz you could take on my website and people will say, are you self-aware? Oh yeah, 80 to 90% say I'm super self-aware. And the one question then follow up I ask is, do you pause before you react to your emotions? About 50% people will say that they pause, right? So it's great that we are, we I think that we think that we're really self-aware when there a lot of us, it's it's the Cinderella story. This, you know, the, the, the clock resets at midnight. Every day you have a new mm-hmm. opportunity, right? That glass slipper analogy, but that new opportunity to be more self-aware. But what does that actually entail? So self-awareness for me is there's there's three components of that and just three S's. The number one thing is, are you aware of the sensations in your body? And even the lack of sensations is something to be aware of. Do you, like, even that feeling that I actually don't feel anything is important because numbness is also an emotion that we have to at least be aware of too. So sensation is one. If I made you walk down a dark alley right now, you're going to hopefully have your heart rate go up and feel a bit sweaty and uh, your palms might be feeling a bit clammy. So that idea of are you disentangled from your body or do you actually even know how you're feeling so do this simple exercises when you start to drive your car to pick up your kids or go to work can you actually raise your shoulders as high as they possibly can to your ears and then drop them down and drop them down a bit more right so even that proprioception that activity that we are connected to our body in some ways a lot of us haven't figured that out or haven't practiced in a long time so that's the sensation piece which is tied into self-awareness The next S is a story in your head, very similar to that 17-year-old who knocked on the door and said, I think I'm hearing voices, but that was her own internal voice. Just like my voice was telling me this morning, oh, you've got so much to do. You're never going to get it all done. Right away, that negativity bias. Mm -hmm. I like to tell my youth that, you know, you have Instagram in your brain and they'll look at me going, what? said, Instagram does a couple of things. It critiques you and it compares you, right? That's what Instagram does. That's what your brain does every single day, right? It's looking at and it's cautioning you. Can you do that? Can you really do that? You couldn't do that last time. See? And then it's confirmation. See, I told you, look, you couldn't do it. The eternal confirmation bias. So those are some great C's to remember, right? Critiquing, comparing, cautioning you. And then when you can't, it confirms it. Look, I told you. So 
that story in your head is not the story that you wrote. It's the story that your parents wrote, your teachers, your coaches, your siblings, right? It's the way, so it's, it's not necessarily you, but it is yours now. <laughs> it's like inheriting this, I was so short, I always got my hand-me-downs for my taller and older sister. I didn't want the hand-me-downs, but I got it now. So it's like, what hand-me-down voice did you get? Yes. And how are you going to make that yours, right? And that that takes the awareness piece. It takes, I often will ask my youth, whose voice is it? Whose voice mm -hmm. does it sound like? Mm -hmm. Use this simple diving board test. I, I don't enjoy swimming very much at all, so this works very well for me. So I climb on the top of the highest diving board and you're at that point and you want to do anything and you just want to turn around, but you can't go back down because there's a crowd of kids on the ladder waiting for you. So here I am on the top of the diving board and you've got two, two voices. One is saying, you can do this. You can do anything. I got your back. The other voice is saying, look, why did you even climb that high? I told you you couldn't do it. Last time you belly flopped. You're going to climb back down that ladder and you're going to embarrass yourself in front of everybody. See, I told you. So whose voice does that mom, dad, teacher, sibling? And maybe you only have positive voices. Great. But a lot of us don't. And a lot of us could even recognize that maybe we are the negative voice because of all the things that we've gone through. So use the diving board test as a little analogy to, to point yourself and orientate you. So if the first S was the sensations, the next S is the story, the third is the most important. Why are you having the emotion in the first place? It's the significance. You only have the emotions because you care about something. If you saw somebody at Christmas time throwing a bunch of wrapping paper that could be recycled into the garbage, you walked away. I don't care about that. Well, but if you really cared, you might really have a fire burning about climate change and recycling. And you know, like that's what your emotional compass is leading you towards. So it's great. It's a great lesson for our kids. You care about something and you're going to have an emotion to it. So what do you care about? What is your emotional compass point pointing you towards? My eldest son really values fairness. If something mm. is not fair, his response is anger. So I could chastise the anger or I could point the compass going, wow, you really value fairness, but not everything in life is fair, you know, and having a conversation around that. So Absolutely. those are three really easy points to at least anchor in as to how to be more self-aware. They are easy to understand, but I have to say they're deep. They're deep. <laughs> they're deep. Yeah. No, it's so powerful. I love what you just said. The sensations, I think, for high achieving women are really hard because for many of us, we were taught to ignore, right? Or um, suppress a lot of those big feelings and emotions. And especially um, depending on, you know, how we grew up and the yeah. environments in which we work. I know in the corporate environment, I, you know, when I started, it was, how could I be more like a man? Yes. Oh, completely. Right. Completely. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of gender stereotypes. There's a lot of uh, expectations that external and internal. Yes. And so I think we learn to dissociate from ourselves. So I, one of the hardest things that I think is, you know, midlife women is relearning how to connect with our bodies and learning how to listen to the sensations that are happening and Correct. understanding that mind body connection. So I think that's so powerful. And then the diving board example that you gave, it's a great analogy. You know, we all have that inner critic and, and a lot of times that the negative inner critic is the one to trump or one or win the conversation in our head yeah. because 
one, we're trying to keep ourselves safe, right? Like our brain oh, yeah. is, oh, yeah. is wired sure. to keep us safe. Yeah. That's part of it. But the other part of it, to your point, is the voice in your head and where did that come from? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of that becomes ingrained in our identity and oh. who we were, who we were conditioned to be. And it's so hard to undo that wiring. Absolutely. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's so just being aware of that. Their biography and their biology. Yeah, right. they're both emotions are biography and biology. So it's so important to, and that's where, you know, you can have the want and the desire. I think the outcome of this kind of work is knowing that this is important. And if you feel stuck, which many of us do, if you feel that emptiness inside, that feeling of languishing almost, I think there's a piece that you might think I am maximizing every meat part of the pyramid, the exercise, I'm eating really clean, I'm sleeping well, but why do I still feel this way? And it could be that this is what needs some work too, right? Yeah. So it's the awareness that maybe having a trusted person to help you kind of that really knotted ball of yarn to just take one or two threads apart, right? And if you can't, I know in Canada, affording counseling can be really difficult, but there, there are some of the questions that can prompt and help you untangle that for yourself, at least in a small way. Absolutely. And, and on that note, um, you know, I'm wondering what advice, what message or advice do you have for high achieving women, especially new parents, right, who are struggling with postpartum anxiety, emotional health, OCD? What advice, what would you recommend? Yeah, I think I know how this feels is sometimes that you just want that silver bullet that give me that one meditation app, give me that one new shiny journal or a really nice pen to go along with that journal, <laughs> you know, a water bottle. So I drink, you know, like we all want, especially with Christmas time, you want that yes. one thing, that silver bullet. And I kind of talk about this idea is instead of a silver bullet, it's a series, it's a series of small micro steps. And I think mm. the one thing that I could give to you as a gift, if I could kind of wrap it up in a bow is a question. And that question is, what would that say about me? It's not a why question. It's a what question. Because I've found that for self-awareness, what questions are a lot better than why questions. Um, so when you find yourself in a situation where you start to feel that feeling, you don't know what the emotion is, but you know that feeling that I just don't feel right inside of me? You ask yourself the question, well, what would that say about me? And it's such a mm. benign example. My mom and I have a very close relationship and she sent me a text yesterday and it was a little bit shorter than the very lengthy and elaborate ones she usually sends. And I actually felt very guilty because I didn't walk, you know, from my house next door to say goodbye to her when she was going on a trip. And I still feel a bit guilty about this. And it was suddenly I'm thinking, oh, look, she knew that I could have come and say goodbye to her, but I didn't. And that's why she sent me a shorter text. And so your brain starts to ruminate and ruminate. So what would that say about me? Well, that I wasn't a good enough daughter. Well, what would that say about me? Well, that I haven't taken care of my mom. So you do that a series of times until you find what the root fear is. What you're looking for is what are you so scared of? And mm. there I was scared of failing as a daughter. Scared of disappointing someone, scared of being imperfect. And guess what? Those fears come up every single day in my life. They came up in a text message way. They came up in my clinical practice. They came up when I'm standing to pick up my kids, right? It's the same fear dressed up in a different costume. Every day is Halloween to your fears, just comes out in a different costume. So by asking yourself that one question, what would that say about me with your target of, what am I so afraid of? 
you start to actually take out that weed by the root instead mm. of plucking it up from the top. I love it. I love it. And that's what would that say about me? It's such an important thing to remember in the moment, questioning ourselves and being introspective and really getting curious about the emotion. Because to your point, what's underneath that are the same fears that we all share, right? We all have the same fears. And so, you know, I think really taking a moment to pause and and ask ourselves that question can be can be so incredibly powerful. So true. Dr. Alibi, you're um, releasing a new book next year. So I want to first congratulate you on the launch of your book. And uh, it's called Feel Better. And I would love to know what inspired you to write this book and what can readers expect from it? No, I love that. Thank you so much. I was super excited. Everything that we've just talked about here is right there in book format. It's got you know what inspired me to write it are, are the youth that I work at, or work with, mm -hmm. I should say. It's all of their stories in anonymized fashion with the stories and the lessons and then the application. Like, what can mm -hmm. I actually do and take away from this? But if you'll remember not that you will always remember their stories because I have never been able to forget them. And these are from working with these youth for the past now 11 years and a compilation of all the lessons that they have taught me and the lessons that I think all of us would benefit in learning from too. So it'll be coming out in about April of 2024. So excited to share it with you all. Uh, and I'll be sold on Amazon as well. Awesome. I cannot wait to read it. it sounds amazing. Thank you. So please check out Dr. Shahana's book on Amazon in April of 2024. Uh, Dr. Shahana, it's really an honor to have you on the show. I want to thank you for being here, sharing your insights, your expertise, as well as your personal journey. Where can our listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? Oh, thanks so much. So on my website, you'll find the Optimal Health Pyramid, just drshahana.com. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so come check me out there, uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Dr. Shahana too. Feel free, there's a downloadable five things that are holding you back PDF and a free quiz that you can take too. Perfect. And of course, you can visit my website at gialacqua.com. Reach out to me on Instagram at gialacqua with, with thoughts, feedback, comments, questions on this topic, and what you'd like to hear about in future episodes. This is Gia signing off with gratitude for your time and energy. Our mic drops, but the movement continues. Until next time, your next chapter is waiting. Take care. That concludes another empowering episode of Your Future Starts Now. Before we wrap up, I want to thank this incredible community of high-achieving women. Your energy, resilience, and commitment to growth are the driving force behind what we do. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Your feedback fuels our mission to empower high-achieving women just like you. And of course, share your future starts now with the extraordinary women in your life who are also on a journey of healing and empowerment. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts, let us know what topics you'd like to explore in future episodes. Stay connected on Instagram at Gialacqua. I encourage you to carry the energy of this conversation into your day and keep on supporting the incredible women around you. Until next time, remember, your next chapter is waiting.